Matthew chapter 2 this morning, if you would, please. I want you to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Just a couple of verses. Just a couple of verses this morning, if you would. I want you to get the full impact of what I'm preaching. So I want you to read with me. Let's read together this morning. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. And we're just going to read three verses, 16, 17, and 18. Matthew chapter 2, verses 16, 17, and 18. Let's read together, if you would, beginning at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation, and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. Father, bless your word. I pray, Lord, perhaps, uh, perhaps if we all could get the full import of this message this morning, I know that for me it's one of the uh, most difficult in terms of thoughts, in terms of preparation, in terms of prayer. In terms of the Word of God, it, it's not so, but in terms of these other areas, it's one of the most difficult messages that I've ever preached. So I do pray, Lord, I, I, I do pray that you would anoint my lips. I pray, God, that you would send the Holy Ghost to hover over my brain, that my thought processes would be totally subject to you. I wouldn't say... I wouldn't allow out of my mouth what would not come directly from you. I so desperately am aware that I need you to preach this message this morning. God, would you do that for me? And Lord, if not for me, would you do it for Jesus' sake? Would you please, please consecrate me now to thy service, Lord. Make these lips thine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And I'm sure when I say to you the question, where was God when the children suffered? I'm sure that to many of you, the first thought comes to your mind would be Sandy Hook Elementary School, December 2012 there in Newtown, Connecticut, when young man went in and murdered, literally murdered, 20 children and 6 adults. And that was a horrific crime. I do not want to minimize that. However, that was not the worst school killing that took place in the United States of America. I don't know if you're aware of it, but back in May 18, 1927, at the Bath Consolidated School in Clinton, Michigan, 38 children were killed and 6 adults in what was back then not a school shooting, but a well-planned out by an older man who had at one time been employed at that school, let go, and over the course of the next 6 months, he went and he undermined that school, literally digging holes underneath the foundation of that school, planting bombs planting incendiary devices, and on May 18th, he drove to that school 
and he, from his car, he remotely set off these bombs. And when the police showed up, he actually killed two police officers before turning a weapon on himself and taking his own life. But he had planned, deliberately planned, and he had, they evacuated the school, and the entire school had been planted with bombs so that he could blow up everyone in that school. And it was in retaliation for him being let go of the school as a teacher. I don't know if you remember, but the year 2010, November 2010, there was an earthquake in Haiti. And in February of 2011, four months later, there was a cholera epidemic. And the cholera epidemic took three million people's lives. One and a half million were children 18 years of age and younger. Suffered the disease, the physical effects, the emotional trauma, and ultimately death. And of that one and a half million, 720,000 of those were children between the ages of 6 and 12. I think what, what strikes my mind the most when I think of children suffering, the first time the United States ever saw pictures of children suffering was the years 1967 to 1970. All over the newspapers at that point in time, all over the radio headlines, all over the television was a civil war over in Africa in the country of Nigeria. The lower portion of Nigeria split away and became an independent nation known as Biafra. And I don't know if you recall, but at that point in time, all the world, all of the known world turned on this little nation of Biafra, this little nation of Nigeria, and gave no help. No military help, no economic help, no food help, no agricultural, cultural help. They just backed off to watch and see how this would play out. And it's said that at the peak of this, there, there, was, a, there was a great famine, there was a great dearth of water. Uh, a, a dry spell went out, and in, in the very height of that Nigerian civil war, it said that a thousand children a day under the age of two died. This was the t first, this was the first that it be, the world had known, and it had made news before, but this was the first time for a period of about 18 months, every day on the news, you could not look at the news without seeing children a year old, a year and a half, two years old, three years old. And, and, and when they would starve, their bellies were so distended that, that they couldn't walk, they could sit. And day after day after day was all these children, over a half a million children, starved to death. They starved to death. Some of the news reports showed them that the children laying on the ground writhing in anguish. And I have to tell you, in my mind, I remember back then, I said, God, why aren't you sending someone to help them? Why are you not sending missionaries with food? Why are you not sending missionaries with water? God, what are you doing to these innocent little children? I wish I could go over for you this morning some of the stories that I read about the atrocities that children suffer. It's estimated worldwide, it is estimated worldwide 
that over 10 million children a year under the age of six die. That figure, 10 million, does not include those that are aborted. In America alone, in the United States alone, 1.2 million babies were aborted in the year 2011. That's one for every four children born. Now the Bible is very clear, abortion is murder. That's the number one killer of children. But in terms of things that you and I understand, the number two killer in the world, the number two worldwide killer is pneumonia and respiratory diseases. Children who go to sleep at night and end up not breathing or choking or choke in a crib or choke in a bassinet or respiratory diseases. That takes 44% of all children under the age of six every year. Can you imagine? You know what it's like as an adult to, to swallow something wrong and to begin to choke and gasp. Can you imagine a children, a child, two, three-year-old, four-year-old? The second leading cause of death is an injury. They fall down, they fell out of a tree, they broke a leg. 32% they... of that 43%, one-third of all those deaths are due to motor vehicle. And of that one-third, half of those are due to alcohol. I say this is probably the most difficult because the question comes up, this is an innocent life. This is an innocent child. This is someone who's never had the opportunity for good or bad. This is someone whose potential is never going to reach. And if you know anything about the normal parent, every parent loves a baby. I remember when our children were born, we went to the hospital, and I would look at my daughter there behind the glass in the nursery there, but I also stopped to look at all the other babies too. Whether they were cute or not was irrelevant. They were somebody's child. They were somebody who was loved. They were an infant. Let me give you just a couple thoughts this morning, and I will try and do this very quickly. First of all, let me give you some common questions. Let me give you some common questions. When, when an innocent child, when an innocent baby dies, let me give you four common questions that, 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 that people ask that, that, that normally come up. Question number one, if God created us for a purpose, and he did, why did he take that child's life before they had that opportunity to fulfill that purpose? Is it not true that all things were created by him and for him? Colossians chapter 1. Is it not true that we were created, we were created to give him glory? Why is that life taken before it had that opportunity to reach that end? How do I know that that child would not have grown up to be a modern-day D.L. Moody? 
or a modern-day Charles Spurgeon. Or even you say, well, what about lost people? God has used lost people. God used Cyrus in the Old Testament. He said, Cyrus, you're my anointed. I need you to send my people back to their land. I think of King James, a lost man, yet God used him to translate the Bible into English for you and I. God has used lost people to accomplish His purposes. If that child was created for a purpose, why did God take their life? Let me give you another, let me, let me give you another question. Very legitimate, very real question. Death is the result of sin. Why did that child have to die before it's realized that it's even a sinner? That innocent child had to pay the price for somebody else's sin. Is that fair? Oh, we can understand when a murderer gets the death sentence. We can understand when a criminal goes to jail and gets beat up and, and, and killed in jail or whatever. We can understand when the bad guy gets punished for his bad But what about when an innocent child gets punished for something they have never done? Or what about the question, why are they suffering for something they can't comprehend? Well, we all know that we're going to suffer. Suffering's a part of life, and that child's... Why? He can't comprehend that. She can't comprehend that. An innocent child has no comprehension. Or how about this question? We say that we're supposed to learn from our mistakes, and as adults we can do that. What can a child learn from dying? Are the lessons not over for it to be learned? So what does it accomplish? If it is punishment, why does God punish, if you want to use that term, Innocent children, when they had nothing to do with it. Let me give you some common answers. Let me give you some answers to those questions. Number one, we would say, God allows it. He didn't cause it, but He allows it. And you may think that way. You could certainly get some Bible to prove that. God does not allow it. But he, God does not cause it, but He does allow it. But then that makes God totally arbitrary and picking and choosing what He wants. And He can pick some and pick others. We could also say, well, because God allows it, if God did not allow it, then He would not have to allow any evil because death is an evil thing. Death is the result of sin, Romans chapter 5. And death, sin is an evil thing, therefore death, the result of that evil, death is uh, in a roundabout way evil. And if God's not going to allow that, then God has to not allow any evil, and He'd have to take all evil away. And again, if you take that step, then you're saying, if you take the step that God doesn't allow evil, and He's going to get rid of all evil, then where does the free will of man come in? And I believe the Bible teaches very clearly man has a free will. 
Some answers, some people would say, well, God created us and then he let us go, and someday he'll fix it all, but in the meantime, he's not going to interfere with his creation. Oh, I'm here to tell you, God interferes with his creation every day. God interferes with your life. He interferes with my life. He interferes with the laws of nature every day. I remember there was a storm, and he stood up and said, Peace be still, and it ended. I remember that Jonah was running away, and the seas were calm, and God sent a great storm for Jonah. God interferes with his creation, so that's not a good enough answer. We mentioned in Sunday school this morning in our Bible study, well, that child may have sinned. That child might have done greater evil. That child may have caused more harm by growing up. And so instead of allowing that to happen, God protected us from that. God preserved that child from that. And God took that child's life. That may answer the, the question of a child's death. But does that answer the question of a child's suffering? That may answer why God took a life, but it doesn't answer why somebody else, two or three or four years old, had to suffer. And, and I, I'm not going to, I told you, I could give you a bunch of stories. You just have to go through the news and find out how two, three, four, five-year-old children today suffer at the hands of pedophiles. And they don't die, but they do suffer. So that really only deals with half the question. How about the death of a child, the suffering of a child, allows the parents to help others who are going through the same thing. I've heard that answer. Well, I can help you because my child went through that, and I know what that's like. I can help you because my, my father and mother, they, they have a brother who, who my, my nephew died at a young age. Do you think God would allow a child to suffer just so it could be used as an example for someone else? Or how about this? And I think, I, I think this is where we really need to be very careful. When, 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 when a, a child, particularly a child, suffers, we can say, well, God's going to bring greater good out of this. Romans 8, 28, you know. I think we need to be very careful that we say that because sometimes we say that very, very flippantly. Now, I know that verse is in the Bible. And I believe that verse. But often when people are hurting, especially when it comes to an innocent child, that's the worst thing you can say instead of the best thing you can say. I can't answer all these questions in the next 10 minutes. I can't refute all these answers. I'm only going to settle this very, very quickly. But what I am going to say is, in times like that, when a child suffers, whether it's through death, whether it's through child abuse, whether it's through torture, whether it's through, through uh, you know, it, it, it's, estimated that there's, it's estimated that in this country alone, we don't hear about it, but children under the age of 12, 12 it's estimated that there's some 10,000 children who are hurt every year, they suffer through some kind of a, a gun injury. Now, I, many of you own guns. I'm not dealing with that issue. I'm just saying they suffer for various reasons, right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not saying that's the reason. If, if that's the reason to get rid of all your guns, then you better get rid of all your cars, too, because more children suffer through, through, through car accidents that are maimed permanently. But I think in, in some of these issues, God has been very silent to us. And I think sometimes when we see these things happen, 
The best things for us to do is to learn from God. We also need to be silent because we don't have the answers. And I'm going to give you a couple of them. But sometimes the best thing you can do when there's someone who's suffering who has a child who's suffering, sometimes the best thing you can just do is put an arm around them and suffer with them. It's easy for me to say, God's got a greater good. It's easy for me to say, God's going to take care of it. It's easy for me to say, trust God because I'm not in your shoes. Let me give you three thoughts this morning. Let me give you three uncommon statements. Number one, when you see a child suffering, when you see a parent who has a child who's suffering or who has suffered, lost their life or whatever, number one, I think we need to remember that the world is a sinful place. And death and pain and suffering are the result of sin. And sin is the result of our doing. We brought sin into the world. God did not bring it. God was keenly aware of it. I'll say more about that. But in Genesis chapter 3, God gave man a choice. Will you follow me or will you follow what you want to do? I won't go back to all that. But God had clearly said to Adam, this is the right way. This is what I want you to do. This is my will. This is my plan for you. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, lest ye die. Adam comes along, and Eve says, look what I got. Look what it did. You need some. And Adam says, I want it. Let me have it. And Adam took, and Adam willfully disobeyed the word of God. Adam willfully chose his own way. And since that point in time, it has plunged all of us into sin. God created the Garden of Eden. He created a wonderful, a beautiful place. He created man and put him in the garden. And God walked with that man every day. He walked through the garden. They walked. They talked. God shared with him all the joys and pleasures of himself. He shared with him all the joys and pleasures of creation. God shared with Adam all the good things of life, if you will. But he still said, Adam, I've made you a living soul with the choice of choosing me or choosing your own way. Now hear me out this morning. Every problem in this world today, every problem is a result of Adam choosing his own way, but that has been passed down to us so that at our birth we've been passed down the choice of serving God or serving ourselves, and every one of us, by virtue of our nature, we choose to, sue, to, choo we choose to serve ourselves. I want, I will get. Now, what we want may not be totally bad. Ben, you may not want to murder anybody right now. But you still may want the biggest piece of cake that's on the plate. They are both a selfish choice. Ben, or Chad, let's change names here. Chad. You may not want to be angry at your mom and dad. You may not want to yell and scream at them. You may not want to curse them. But you still may say, I want to do it my way, mom. It's not that bad. It's still a selfish choice. And it may not be that bad. But is it what God has ordained?
We talked about money a few moments ago. We all have money. We all get money. You have the choice. Keep the money or give some to God. Now, when you have no needs, you have no wants, when everything's taken care of, you can give your money to God. But when you go to the store and you see a new Glock 19 Gen 4 and it's on sale, it's tough to pass it up. It's tough to remember the tithes. Or you see that good deal, 100 rounds of 9 mil for $9.99, made in America, all U.S. materials, you know that it's quality. It's tough to pass it up. Or when you go in that store and you see that, what is it, chick purse, chuck purse, the C purse, coach, coach. You see that coach purse and it's regularly $99.99 and we're having a one-day deal. We've moved the decimal point. It's $9.99. It's tough to think. Do I tithe or do I coach? Listen, let's bring this down to where we all live. When you're hungry, and it's tough to talk about food at noontime, but when you're hungry and you walk out the door and you smell Deli Works pizza cooking and the, the aroma floating through the air and you see somebody walking out with a Dunkin' Donuts, mmm, and you can almost wake up and smell the coffee, it's Folgers in your cup, and you know you haven't paid your tithe, it's easy to wonder, does God get my money? Or does DD get my money? When life is good and there's no problems, it's easy to think about God. But the reality of the matter is there's nothing wrong with Dunkin' Donuts. There's nothing wrong with Deli Works. But if God hasn't gotten his first, then they are wrong. Now, God's not going to kill you. He's not going to break your legs. He's not going to burn your tongue out if you get a hot cup of coffee. That's not going to happen. He's not going to give you acid indigestion and acid reflux. He's not going to make you have sickness for the next 24 hours if you go and get a pizza. He's not going to see that you get bad pepperoni. He's not going to see that the cheese is fermented. He's not going to do that because you spent his money on a pizza instead of giving. He's not going to do that. But it's still a selfish choice. That is the result of sin. And when children suffer today, like it or not, they are suffering as a result of sin. Galatians chapter 4, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We today are reaping the consequences of sin. Whether it's a child suffering or whether an adult on drugs, it's all the same. It's the result of sin. Now, those of us that are saved, we don't want to accept that. But I want you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4 a minute. 1 Peter chapter 4. <coughs> Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want you to look at verse, four, verse 12. Beloved... Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. You know what? When we suffer, when we have a trial, when we have a problem, we shouldn't think anything different than a normal life. God, I've been serving you. Why, why is this happening? 
In my own personal devotion, I've been going through a study, and I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my own score. I'm keeping my own records. Do you know everybody that ever did anything for God suffered? Anybody that ever did anything for God had a problem. They sang a song this morning about Joseph in Egypt. Now, Joseph was not running around, hallelujah for Egypt, praise God for Pharaoh, he has helped me, wonderful. Not at all. In fact, if you study that Bible through, you'll find out that in Genesis chapter 49, it said that the brothers referred to Joseph. When they sold Joseph, it said, why didn't we stop this when we saw, and the literal word is, it says in your Bible, the anguish of his soul. When he was in the pit and they were selling him to the Midianites, Joseph was begging. He was crying out. He was weeping. Those, Don't do this to me. I'll never say a word about you again. I'll be good. Uh, you can have my coat. I'll never tell father anything. I'll be kind. I'll be the best brother. I'll be your slave. Please don't tell me to midnight. Please, I want to see dad. Please, I want to, please don't make me do this. And he suffered anyway. And yet through it all, God was with him. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. You're still in 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, and can I say this? What was the name of Christ? Acts chapter 12, he went about doing good. So if you're reproached for doing good, which was the Spirit of Christ, it says the Spirit, the Spirit of His glory and of God rests upon you. Verse 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory God, let him glorify God on this behalf. Can I say to you this morning, this world is controlled by the devil? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he's called the God of this world. Ephesians 2, 2, the prince of the power of the air. In John 12, 31, 14, 30, and 16, 11, he's called the prince of this world. 1 Peter 5, 8, he's called your adversary. Matthew 13, 39, he's called our enemy. In John chapter 8, verse 44, he's called a murderer. And in the same verse, he's called the father of lies. He's a murderer. He's out to murder you. He's out to murder what you think about God. And then he'll lie to you about where it came from. So the number one thing that I would say to you is this world is just a sinful world and suffering is going to happen to everybody. Old, young, middle-aged, man, woman, boy, girl. Secondly, let me give you a second statement here. He does know about each child that suffers. He does know. Psalm 127, verse 3, children are an heritage of the Lord. All children are from God. He knows every child that's ever been born. He knows all 1.2 million babies that were murdered last year through abortion. He knows them. You and I may not know them. You and I may not know any of them. You and I today may not know any child that's suffering. But just because we don't doesn't mean God doesn't. God does know. But let me 
Let me give you this third statement. This is what I really want to say. Not only is the suffering a result of sin, we reap what we sow. Not only is it the fact that God does know, but thirdly and most importantly this morning, God does care about each one that suffers. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. <coughs> Look at verse 13. Then were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked him. But Jesus said, Suffer, little children. Forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Can I say this to you this morning? That that passage, and then go back to Matthew chapter 18. All this, this, this particular story is, 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 is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All three of the evangelists, not John, because of the, but three of the four evangelists present this side of Jesus welcoming the little children. Must have been a poor enough illustration for them all to write it down. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. And said, Jesus speaks to them. He sets a little child in the midst, verse 3. He said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who shall receive one such little child of my name receiving me? Now look at verse 6. But who shall offend one of these little ones but leave in me? It were better for him than a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. It must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. It must needs be. As a result of Adam, offenses, problems, trials, persecution, suffering, they'll come. They'll be here. And you and I are seeing these on a day-to-day -day basis. But God knows about each one. Whatever His reason, whatever His purpose, God is not a man. He does not have to think like a man. He does not have to act like a man. God is in no way responsible to man. But, but, but God has been gracious enough to man to redeem us from that curse from that awful sin, from that awful sowing what we reap. We reaped death. We reaped evil. We reaped horror. We reaped sin as a result of Adam. But as a result of that second Adam, as a result of Jesus Christ, we've reaped release from all that. And if man should choose the Lord Jesus Christ, it would alleviate that pain and suffering, that misery, that horror. And that's the choice that's up to you and I. And that's the question this morning. It's not where was God when the children suffered. I could give you others. We, we read Matthew chapter 2. Where was God when, 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 when uh, Herod had all those children under two slain? Where was God when Pharaoh, back in Exodus chapter 2, wanted to kill all the Hebrew boys? When, when, when those Hebrew women, when, when, remember he told the midwives, when the Hebrew boys, when the Hebrew women bear boys, kill them, throw them in the river. Where was God in all that? The same place he's always been high and holy, lifted up, sitting upon a throne, and his train filled the temple, offering to man his free gift of salvation. God is still in control. If I had all the answers this morning, I would be God. And I wouldn't need him, and he wouldn't need me. But because he is God, 
It's not up to me to figure them out. It's not up to me. It's not up to me this morning to defend God. It's simply up to me to give you what the Word of God says, and the Word of God says He is in control. Why He allows it is up to Him. I do know this. We are greatly responsible. This is one of the reasons we send missionaries out into the world. Um, I don't know. How many of you know the story of Gladys Aylward? Gladys Aylward, missionary to China. God used her in the, in the old days in China. Remember how they used to bind the children's feet, keep them from growing? God used her to stop that practice. God used Jim Elliott to bring the Alcas to Jesus Christ. Unknown tribe, unknown territory. Somehow, some way, all I can tell you is God is in control. And where was God? Right where he's always been. It's you and I who've erred. 